Hello survivors and welcome to Wall Chicken, a Castlevania podcast by Resident Evil fans for Resident Evil fans. This is First Aid Spray bonus episode 21 and in this edition we return to the world of vampires and Belmonts once more to cover a series and genre defining classic with Castlevania Symphony of the Night. I'm your host Cy and joining me in Dracula's Castle this week they enthusiastically gushed about this game in our previous Castlevania podcast, but there's always more to say. So, in a sense, you could say they've come to put an end to this. It's Michael Burger Time Early. Hi, hello. When I asked him if he wanted to be on a Castlevania podcast, he merely responded, I'm interested in this. From Serial Box 64, it's Jordan Sugru. But enough talk! Have at you! <laughs> He's resurrected Dracula and this podcast so that the battle can last for eternity. It's Firebutton Steve Valance. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> the subject of this bonus episode, like all others, was voted on by our Patreon backers. Support the show now to not only help keep us afloat, but to also create new content. Select what that content is and hear it a month before everyone else. Tears begin at just $1 a month. Check out patreon.com forward slash Pod for the full breakdown. Uh, top of the show... Always good to do the shout-out. It's a Castlevania episode, so of course we are going to be breaking up our discussion on this subject with music. And who better than Glasses, who provided our remix for the Super Metroid podcast as well. It just seemed like fate. It just seemed like a little perfect way to intertwine those two games that are often very, you know, connected in conversation and how they influenced a whole genre. So, yes, look forward to Glasses' uh, remix, synth remix of Marble Gallery throughout this podcast. And do go ahead and check out their, the video version, which is really cool, and their channel in general. This episode, as always, voted on by Patreons, was a bit of a sequelized series of, uh, in the poll, it was kind of like, oh, you know, we've done all of these once before, let's return to a series. Castlevania did very well, which is fine by us, because we really wanted to talk about more of it. In fact, we always wanted to talk about Castlevania, which is why our first episode was the history of Castlevania, where we tried our damnedest to cover as much of the series as possible in one go. And we did spend quite a bit of time talking about Symphony of the Night, but uh, there's always more to talk about, definitely. So we are going to get deep into the weeds with this particular entry uh, for a little bit of backstory on it, I suppose. Castlevania Symphony of the Night released for PlayStation 1 in 1997. And it also came to the Sega Saturn as well. It started off life as a side game in the series uh, before it wound up kind of influencing the entire direction of the franchise for the next decade and a half or whatever. Uh, and as a side series a game in the side, sort of side series, uh, it allowed the people behind the game to kind of experiment with the system of Castlevania and try some new things, which I think it's fair to say was getting a little bit stale at the time, and more than anything else, kind of as a platforming set of platforming games, they were very much targeted by people that were renting titles for something short to play, beat it in a night, take it back kind of thing. So to create a game with much longer uh, playtime was a big aspect of Symphony of the Night. And, uh, well, I think it's fair to say, and we talked about this before, that they very much achieved that. Um, instead of starting with all of our personal history individually on our first experience with Symphony of the Night, because we've kind of touched on that previously, I'm going to put the cart before the horse in this one. Is this the best and or most important Castlevania game? Steve, what do you reckon? Best? Uh, that's debatable. Best is debatable, but important. I mean, this is this is like the RE4 situation, isn't it? It's a game that had aftershocks throughout the entirety of like gaming as a whole. Like this, and that's birth a great comparison. Yeah, yeah, this birthed the genre. You know, I mean, true, Metroid was first, but it wasn't until 
Castlevania had a crack at it, it became Metroidvania. Like, mm. uh, is it the best one? I don't know. I feel like there's been other iterative versions of this concept, and maybe even some of the ones that have followed this uh, mechanical mindset that might be, you know, more to some people's bag. I mean, personally, that's debatable. But yeah, I'm, I'm coming from the perspective that it's definitely the most important. But mm-hmm. best is a strong sell. It's a, it's a strong game, but not necessarily a there for me. Fair enough, uh, Jordan. What do you think? Best and almost important. Uh, as far as best, uh, it's very tough because it's right up there. Um, I think if you were, you know, put, putting this on like Tier Maker or something like that, it would very firmly sit in the S rank tier. Mm. Uh, as I previously said on our last Castlevania podcast, I do sort of shift a little bit closer to Super Castlevania Four. It is. You know, the one that I also sort of would recommend to people really sort of depends on what people want when they're they're coming to Castlevania. You know, do you want the classic style or do you want the Metroidvania style? Um, but I mean, as far as sort of the most important, I, I, I guess it is. Because uh, even though I would not necessarily say that it's had the success that it deserves, and I, I mean that is sort of as a case of... Uh, the series just sort of disappeared after about 2008, but that was not through its fault, but more necessarily sort of like the direction that maybe the gaming industry was taking or Konami was taking. Um, but to go from what we were having in the early 90s uh, with the ca- uh, the classic Castlevanias, uh, it needed that sort of means of success, and Symphony of the Night brought it. Uh, it's not to say that the designs that were in the original uh, classic Castlevanias was defunct in any in any fashion. Mm. Um, I think they could have continued to sort of prolong the actual lifespan of Castlevania if they had continued uh, to, to release those games uh, in a more regular fashion. But ultimately, Symphony of the Night sort of taking on the mantle of, of Metroidvania... You know, it's a bit like Homo sapiens. It just ends up being the species that, like, goes above all the others in sort of like the evolutionary sort of chain. It ended up just being so successful um, that you you couldn't sort of deny it. Like, it just became Castlevania to the point that, like, around the 2000s, you just didn't sort of question it. it was that That's what Castlevania was. Yes. Yeah. Um, even if there was, like, some forays into, you know, 3D games and, you know, they can be a little bit sort of hit and miss. That's what people kind of then typified Castlevania as being. So, absolutely the most important game in the series. Um, It's the one that is now sort of cemented in people's minds, that image um, of Symphony of the Night especially. But the best, you can certainly debate it, because it's, I mean, it's Castlevania. It's a fantastic series. There's a couple stinkers in there, of course, but for the most part, the experience you get um, is just some of the best in gaming that, I, that I've experienced and yeah I would say for most people mm. I think that's fair what you're saying about um, the impact that it had over the 2000s and stuff like that when you look at sort of the release schedule of games in the Castlevania series uh, Symphony of the Night comes out, comes out in 97 uh, and then the following games are the 64 games which are obviously their own thing entirely and there's a Game Boy title in there as well that was kind of in development at the time um, and then from 2001 onwards you get Circle of the Moon and everything sort of main series is not but 
too fine of a point on it, but sort of aping the Symphony of the Night yeah. formula and sort of refining it and trying new mm-hmm. things. We never go back to classic Castlevania, just the platforming type. So, yeah, you're absolutely right in terms of the fact that it really did just completely change its identity. We've never, I don't think we've had any kind of real throwback to the classic style. I don't know, maybe that's a thing that could happen. There's, there's um, the remake. The collection. There's the yeah. remake of Rondo of Blood. I can't think of any yes. others that were classic Vania. Really. Mm. Yeah, yeah, adventure rebirth for the uh, yes. the Wii channel, but like it was again, a, again it was it's a remake. It was on the fringe. Yeah. yeah, it was um, on the fringe. The there's the the um, mobile game, the shadows, the sequel to Shadows of the Lord of, Sh- Lord of Shadow, the Mirror of Fate, Mirror of Fate. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Wasn't that Ooh, also oh, a Metroidvania or? No, it was not. It was a classic Vania game. That was it. Okay. it. No, it was. It was a. It was a bit of both. It was a bit of a weird one. Mirror of Fate is very clearly like, if you go back to it now, it kind of feels a bit more of an obvious uh, attempt to try and sort of tap into the old sort of Symphony of the Night style. Um, but obviously, the Lords of Shadow series was based on games like God of War. So mm-hmm. it was that. It was God of War on a 2D plane, but it's also a Metrovania because you go around like a big map. Obviously, we know what happened with Mercury's theme, and you know they are now quite happily developing for the Metroid series. So it kind of comes full circle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like that was that was probably, I guess, the last official Konami in, involvement of any kind with like a Metroidvania. Mm-hmm. Am, I, am, I, am I right? I can't think of anything um, beyond that. It depends when Harmony of Despair came out, right? Because uh, that was the last one that I can have full knowledge of there being a unique Castlevania title that was a Metroidvania. It was also like a multiplayer, like raid Metroidvania thing going on. You had six yeah, players at once versus a castle. Bring it, bring it, it was, back, Konami. It was, it was mad good. Servers are still actually pretty lively. Like I can still get more play, people to play with on uh, the the old Xbox 360 through to where, wherever it is on now, Series X, I guess. I, I liked it. I, I think it was a little misunderstood. Anyway, mm. we're going way off track. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, to that point, obviously. You know, massive agreement that it is the most important because of the what it did for the series for the next 12 years or whatever before Lords of Shadow uh, tried something new completely which is obviously again something that we discussed in our previous Castlevania podcast Um, in terms of the best um, I unfortunately have to put my hand up and say even though it's been two years since we did the last Castlevania podcast I don't think I've played any of them any new games since that I hadn't played before so I can't really compare it to anything beyond Circle of the Moon <laughs> so from my experiences it's probably the best but I can certainly you know I've heard all of your guys discussion about you know the later games and what they bring to it and I'm, I am excited to get into them at some point uh, but yeah I suppose it depends on what you're looking for Berger I know that uh, is it a fact that Symphony of the Night is your favorite game of all time, it, Ergo, yes, it, surely it, it's the best game in the series. So, either, so let me. There's a caveat to that. Yes, oh, okay. So, my favorite game of all time, um, and I say that with all implied emotional context. Mm-hmm. Um, objectively speaking, is it the best game? No, it's it's not. Like to be like Jordan said, it's it's still close. Like I still think it's so satisfying to play. Like, uh, there's a video by a YouTuber named John Lerner. It's a retrospective on Castle. It's two parts, or it might be three. But he goes on for hours about this game. And one of the things that he says that I always harken back to is playing this game is like wearing a warm blanket in front of the fire. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just cozy. Um, Mm -hmm. But there are games that do it system, like, like, systemly and, like, 
best Castlevania game to me, I think, um, in terms of mechanics, gameplay, and stuff, is Portrait of Ruin. Mm, um, right, right. Definitely. And, and in terms of, like, my ideal Castlevania is, is Portrait of Ruin. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's fun. It's multiplayer. And that's why I liked the, the HD one. Because it was, like, it was, it was the game I loved to play, but I could play it with a friend. Hmm. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I can see where you're coming from, certainly. Okay, let's, so let's get into the game. Um, I've kind of kept the headers on this pretty broad, so we'll really just kind of go through how we feel. But let's talk about gameplay first. Of course, this is the most important thing to get to in terms of this because it was such a massive uh, revelation for the series and for gaming in general, as we know, because of many titles that have sort of spun off from this since even in the last five ten years the genre is healthy is probably (laughs) one word for it certainly um uh, to sort of touch on the original castlevania games i you know if i was just define them by one word i'm not sure exactly what it would be but it would rigid certainly comes to mind you know the platforming the combats all dialed in at certain speeds it's everything's very precise maybe precision is the word Whereas Symphony of the Night seems to me more about fluidity being the word. Uh, fluidity is everything. You've got the ability to move a lot faster than you ever have before. You've got the ability to course correct a hell of a lot more than ever before. Uh, whilst the other games were intentionally stunted, and that was part of the challenge, Alucard being able to move more fluidly makes sense from a lore perspective, because he's a vampire. But also, it means that Castlevania Symphony of the Night's world can be built around this movement in ways that kind of present new approaches. Like, platforming is still a part of this game, uh, but I'd say it's far less pressing. The focus is on the massive, wide array that you can do with combat. Um, Jordan, how do you feel about the sort of core tenets of Symphony of the Night, the way that moves, the way that it plays, that kind of stuff? Uh, Well, I think... I think you've sort of approached it quite fairly that, uh, yeah, it's the degree of sort of fluidity and openness that you get with Symphony of the Night that makes it just uh, so easy to get into. Uh, I mean, it it's one of those games that I come back to in sort of the same way that I come back to Mario 64 and that it's like, I don't always sit down with the intention of playing it right through to the end and beating it. It can just be a case of it's just if I have a free afternoon and it's just like, yeah, let's build up Castlevania, just you know play it for an hour or so. Mm. And even if you're just starting from a new save and you you know you're going through the whole intro with Richter and Dracula fight and all of that kind of stuff, even with that, it's so quick and easy to get into and sort of get into the groove uh, of playing it. And uh, I think that that is probably why it was so easy to approach for a lot of new fans uh, because uh, you don't have any. Uh, time limits like the Game Boy games. Uh, hmm. You're also not like relegated to a, a linear path. Uh, it can really kind of come down to um, you know your own pathfinding and you know how yeah. fun that can kind of be when you sort of see other people play it and you go, oh, they they start going off in that direction or they yeah. you know they start heading to the library much earlier than I do and stuff like that. Yeah, um, it's it's great to see that. And uh, I think it's been sort of one of the, you know, strongest elements of not just Symphony of the Night, but just Metroidvanias in general. Um, And obviously that's been a strong design philosophy for a very long time now. So uh, it's it's obviously um, it's it's obviously sort of like its strongest factor is that 
you can sort of share so many stories with other people about how they experience the game. You know, it all ends the same way. You all sort of more or less end up like in the inverted castle and going off and, you know, facing Dracula with your, you know, your, your mm. big fancy loadout and stuff. But it's how you get there that's so interesting. Yes, absolutely. Burger, I can hear you champing at the bit. Uh, what do you make <laughs> of <laughs> um, sort of the way that Symphony Night feels to play, I guess? I told you I would be very good. Um, <laughs> like I said uh, in my opening statement, um, the game is a treat to play. It's it's still so tight and, and fast and responsive. The sound, like playing it sounds great. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> like, we were vamping earlier today and we did it in the last podcast where it's just like you the the sound of the alucard sword is so in your brain um you know the dark metamorphosis <laughs> um that that all stuff it just makes the game so much fun to play and um when i play a new metroidvania and i cuz i have, i played this one recently and i do play a lot of metroidvanias it's still fascinating to me how how much new metroidvania games keep from this one so like to to, to use an example blood bloodstains um right the jumping arc that she has in bloodstained is very similar to alucard's jumping arc and then when she jumps the double jump it feels very similar there too she even um, has Rogue his landing like you know alucard from a, a second floor fall will like have a landing she even yeah. has that kind of impact although same yeah. developer sort of is the cheat yes. that's the concern um, but that's that's a commonality. Dark, uh, Dead Cells has a similar like Dead Cells is more mobility is very different. But that initial jump in a lot of Metroidvania is the ones that stick out in my brain. I will say, are the ones where that first jump feels good. That mm-hmm. that's got that good feeling. You get so much control. You get good height, and you can you usually modify it in some way, whether it's a teleport jump or something like. But so it says a lot about about the impact this game had um, in terms of gameplay. Um, God, it's. I just, I just still love playing it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a wonderful time. Uh, you know, as a shame as it's been that I haven't been able to touch games in the series yet that I intended to, just going back to play Symphony of the Night was just kind of what you said, a cozy experience. I had a wonderful time playing it again in preparation for this. And it's you're right, it's so satisfying to play. Um, and I think that's fairly true of the older games as well. It's just kind of different. The satisfaction there comes from overcoming some stuff right. that you will just fail at over and over and over again yeah. until you get it precise is de- that is definitely the word and whereas you know symphony night is more forgiving and you get satisfaction from all kinds of things like say the visual effects and the sound effects and just I, leveling I will go up. out of my that- way to kill every single candle <laughs> yes yeah, right yeah no no exactly the same and the level up sort of the way that just the little Tinkle the level up sound effect just feels mm. good stuff like that. Yeah, um, and it happens a lot. It happens frequently. It's it's man, it's so good. Mm. Yeah, no, exactly right. Yeah, the game gives you kind of like goes here's something new, here's something new, here's something new at a decent enough pace that you just keep like okay, I've got to keep going and see what else is around this corner. I, um, even though it gives you such a wide open space in theory of the castle to explore in whatever direction you want to attempt it. Uh, there is, you're not kind of like blocked out too soon. I find I love that it's just like you feel like you can go anywhere at the beginning when in reality, of yeah, you can't. But uh, I mean, you don't, that is you don't need your first real genre. barrier for a while. No, not really. No, which is usually well for me at least. Uh, you know, like a blue door or whatever, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, guess I'll go this way instead. Uh, Steve, how do you feel about the way the Symphony Night? 
plays and how it feels to play. Addictive. It's it's. I don't put. It's like it's like he's constantly offering you different little treats and cookies for just poking your head in the right place, and you're constantly mm. on a ever increasing scale upwards to just become more and more empowered. And this is starting from a point where yes, Alucard gets his sword, shield, and gear nicked, but. He can also like kick jump and melee attack and backdash and has an entire like spell book as an arsenal. Yes, absolutely. If you obviously yeah. if you know the moves, you can just do them straight away. Otherwise, you go to the librarian and buy them. But the, the man is like stacked to the nines with capabilities vastly more so than like you know the likes of Simon, Richter, Trevor. But you know the, his forebears are but like weaklings compared to this man. We haven't got to sub weapons or equipped gear yet, and he's already punching yeah. skeletons and launching fireballs. <laughs> And it only gets I mean, more and more crazy. And like, that goes. There's a really great example of demonstrating that Alucard is not human, too. Like, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it's it's definitely a game that rewards. Uh, like, it rewards but doesn't punish experimentation with the way that it gives you yeah. so many different toys and stuff to play with. Like, you know, yeah. yeah. Normally, you'll gravitate towards the big ass like Valmon Way or Chrysogrim Sword and just annihilate everything eventually. But getting mm-hmm. there, you know, you've got shield rods. Neutron bombs, shurikens. The Sword of the Dawn. I actually used to look out of my recent playthrough and remembered that. Yeah. Most of these weapons, well, not most, but quite a lot of these weapons have secret moves or hidden yeah. techniques. It's it's surprising the depth and, and freedom. They're not all the this. same either. Sorry, yeah, I'm yeah. talking a lot during your thing. No, you're right. It's just I'm, I'm I'm trying to think like you know you compare it to you had whip, you had whip that's now chain, you had whip that had chain that's on fire. And, Only uh, you, when you're at full health. Yeah, and then you have like sub weapons or item crashes in Ronda of Blood. The options are a lot more open. And yes. that, that freedom, uh, there is probably a double edged sword to the late game. And imagine when you get there, you know, when you, you know, you can tackle the inverted castle pretty much however you feel like, as long as you end with beating the crap out of, you know, Daddy and his HR Geiger nightmare chair. <laughs> you, know, you become so overpowered that anything that gets in your way is but like a stepping stone so mm. maybe there is a perhaps you peak a little too soon and then you just never come down to rebalance it maybe that's the only real caveat to the gameplay the fact that Alucard yeah. is just so so <laughs> capable it makes it a yeah. lot of fun do you recall like your level the first time that you ever beat Symphony of the Night oh we're talking many, 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 many moons ago. Yeah, I don't know. I remember that. <laughs> I know what it was this afternoon. I, I, I was 36. <laughs> there you go. 47 in my current playthrough. Uh, I, I took a screenshot. Well, I took a picture off the TV back when I first beat Symphony of the Night. And uh, yeah, it was level 48 yeah. um, with about 15 hours clocked. But then again, from the previous podcast, that was about like an hour or two of just Alucard running against the wall, getting his health back because I got stuck in one part of the castle without any health items. You know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that part of it because I always remember the game being longer when I was younger. Um mm. But like it is like I, you know, fifteen hours is like a you know, it's a fifteen I, hours is good for a PlayStation One game. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I had to cripple myself like, this playthrough. Um, yeah, I, it's I, funny actually because you said addictive, Stephen. Obviously, uh, you know, before we recorded this podcast, you were tweeting little clips of your playthrough, and I sort of teasingly was like, "Oh, I love the last minute cram." Yeah. And as you as you said yourself, no, I'm just trying to get another playthrough in before we record. <laughs> this says a lot about how much you like playing this game. So, yeah, <laughs> it's very fun. Steve's tip though is if you know Soul Steel, like don't use it. Just just don't. It's a crutch. You don't need it. You don't, you don't need you to don't absorb. Need you don't need that smart bomb super heal every five minutes. It no, breaks the no, game. No, you're good. <laughs> yeah, I uh, 
Actually, yeah, there's definitely, we need to have a whole discussion on what people do use and don't use, certainly. Like, uh, it's funny, Jordan, you were saying about watching playthroughs and being like, oh, it's interesting that they've gone this way. Something that you said in our previous podcast was more like, oh, it's, what build do you end up with? There's, I mean, technically, I guess there is an ultimate build. It's two Chrysogrim swords because it's ridiculous. But like, there's so much, you know, there's plenty of viable variation to choose from there with weapons and armor and accessories. Which sub-weapon you like to carry the most, which familiar you've got. Do you use spells or not, etc. Uh, so I don't actually use the spells pretty much at all unless I'm in a circumstance where I really need some extra ranged stuff looking at you, Legion. You <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but I would primarily keep away from kind of spells. In fact, I didn't. I think I used familiars on my first playthrough. I didn't touch them at all this time around. I just kind of kept it as core as I could, which meant I'd actually this time, which I'd never, I didn't do on my previous playthrough, I experienced the Chakram, which changed everything for me, having a sword in one hand and then having this thing you can throw two of and they kind of boomerang back to you, gives you a really interesting slant on aerial combat, makes that Mm -hmm. much more interesting and much easier. Uh, it's caught, it's kind of works like a defensive item as well because it sort of circles around you. Yeah. Uh, that was a big game changer for me. Burger, what's your sort of go-to? What do you like to use? Or is there anything um, in the game that you go, this is too much, I don't need this? <laughs> so um, I, I like to use I like to use magic. Um, I like to use the fireball. I use it to get past areas that I don't want to deal with. Like there's a specific part in the caverns where there's like five freaking pikemen that kind of just go up and down this thing until you push the box over, right? But if you don't want to push the box over, you kind of got to get through but if you teleport right. through it it's a good way to get through it without dealing with it um mm-hmm. so i use it as a mobility tool more than anything um but i do like the the fireball teleport um my go-to weapon when i'm playing the game and i'm like looking to have fun is the rune sword okay um, which is the one you th- it's similar it's the one you throw and it comes back oh um and one of those i like in the clock tower right yeah um yeah i like that a lot it's a fun it's a fun sword it's like you said it's it lets you kind of experiment with with your toys a little bit in a different way um i also i mentioned the sword of dawn earlier um which is really just a bad weapon (laughs) um but it's a big two-handed sword so it takes both your slots but if you do your your quarter circle forward motion and use it he alucard holds it up in front of him and then summons skeletons that like throw fireballs or walk forward with spears or i I don't know if there are archers again i had no idea that was a thing that's the first (laughs) i've heard of that that's awesome (laughs) um so yeah i i think that playing symphony the night optimally is playing the way that you're having fun and i like that there are a lot of fun tools to play with and um in i think he he really dialed that in for his next project and bloodstained as well i think that is such a perfect way to put it the optimal way to play is the fun way to play whatever's fun for you like you'd think with all these things that you can do it would be overwhelming the amount of choice but the way that they're sort of paced into you and the game doesn't demand that you use anything it just goes here's a bunch of toys pick whatever you like is so good here are some boots that discreetly increase your height, and it literally just, <laughs> it actually makes you a pixel taller. Yeah, I had to ask you guys. It was like, is there any use to this? No, it's just there for fun. <laughs> just, okay, okay. Um, what's you another now one? Have a slightly worse hitbox. Congratulations. <laughs> um, the fact that when you put a different cape on, your cape changes color is fun yep. and cool, and it affects the 
bat form as well that you take, yeah. which is kind mm-hmm. of neat. That's you know, I like that. Um, Steve, what's your go-to sort of loadout and stuff that you like to use, or do you kind of dip into different things throughout different playthroughs? Uh, I, I am like a, I'll go for anything that's fun, kitchen sink person, but I tend to feel like I'm hunting Dracula because I'm always using the Alucard set. Um, <laughs> because early on, it's the mimicry set of your starting gear only without any of the cool buffs, but it has like a massive luck boost, and okay, you get yeah. the same DPS as the starting sword. Now I'm one of these people, you know, I may have to hit you five times as opposed to three, but it looks cool and it makes a cool sound effect. So roll. <laughs> uh, and then anything like. Anything that would up my damage goes on. So I'm normally a glass cannon because it's like a, there's a ring that gives you massive damage, but you have no defense. So then it's just mist form and a sword and helpful leather just going for it. But that, that's generally my method. I'm not a, I'm not a sophisticated person until I get some busted gear like poison mist or uh, some spells, really. So mm-hmm. I, I'm surprisingly generic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jordan, what stands out to you? What do you like to use the most? Uh, I think the kind of the closest thing with uh, my item choices is that I will absolutely go and and be drawn towards things that will give me some health back. Um, mm. You know, I'm, I'm clearly, obviously, you know, one of those people who likes, you know, rewards cards and you know, uh, top cash back <laughs> and you know, all those hot UK deals, <laughs> Castlevania items. Oh yes, um, Castlevania I mean, looking- club card and meal deal. <laughs> Useful at the library. <laughs> you know, you always put you know the bag of crisps in your second hand, of course. <laughs> uh, but I, but I have things, you know. I mean, I think like when I when I usually face Dracula, I have something like the Morn Blade, you know. But that's usually a carryover from like late game play, <laughs> where I just I want to kind of go through, you know, much like sort of tanking it, um, you know, a bit like sort of uh, Steve does, but uh, I. I'm not confident enough that I'm going to land all the blows before then, so I've got a little bit of insurance that I get a little bit of health kick back to me. Um, but yeah, that's that's usually what I go for things like you know using the Morn Blade or the or the better barrel circlet um, items like that. Anything that sort of says, oh, by the way, you can get a little bit of health back. Um, you know, when you take damage or when you give damage, I'm always on that, and that has been the case even in other you know, Egovania games that mm. I've played since. But I I really like the fact that this game, because I'm not much of an RPG guy, uh, I can very easily find myself sort of overwhelmed with menus and yeah. stat sheets and everything like that. And I was, I was just thinking, because this is 97, and it's not like Metroid games were known for this, you know, degree of sort of complexity, mm-hmm. you know, which was also part of its strength. But what is Symphony of the Night's strength is obviously the sheer variety that it has. And yet at no point does it ever feel like it, it drags you down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that might be because, you know, I guess sound a little bit like Old Man Yells at Cloud, but to compare it to uh, what a modern game would design it like, you're looking at large skill trees. Yep. Yeah, you're looking at large sort of progression bars, uh, tutorials to explain Multiple a lot of these things to you. To play with. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and and that was not that was not the case in '97 with Symphony of the Night. It was just that it had a ton of stuff <laughs> all throughout the game, um, and you could go to that library and it had like you know like a big store there, and uh, even though there was just so much stuff, and you probably could do with going onto a wiki and actually you know studying all of the items and figuring out what's your best uh, choices uh the best way to experience symphony of the nights 
many, many, many items and spells and abilities and familiars is to just go out and use them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and there really doesn't feel like there's much of a cost to time in order to find that out. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's fantastic when you end up finding a loadout that complements your playstyle so well. You end up going out into a room and you start fighting enemies and you it just clicks. You yeah. feel so badass. You feel yeah. like you're back mm-hmm. at the start of the game where you're just like, you know, taking wolves out with like one, sh- you know, sword stab or something like that. That's the beauty of Symphony of the Night. And um, it's it's hard to think of many games that kind of match that kind of simplicity because it really is just like it's it's it didn't have um, the screen real estate to really kind of chuck a bunch of you know different graphics and charts and skill trees and stuff like that. No. It was it was just one page and it gave you a couple of sort of basic stats. I know that obviously these days you know there's a whole lot more to you know how stats work like specials and stuff. At least for a Symphony of the Night, it's at my level. I I really enjoyed it. Um, I think oh, sorry, I'm currently internalizing the horror. You know, there, there was a meme earlier this year about Elden Ring if done by Ubisoft, and now I can't help yeah. but feel what what on earth would Symphony of the Night have looked like had it been done by them? With like, you know, you must insert 15 blood points to be able to launch one fireball, or you must no, you know, have so many. No you, you can now have so much of an equip load, or. My God, you know, the, the amounts of bullets this is obviously preemptively by being in 1997 has dodged is staggering. <laughs> we could do yeah. with a bit more yeah. simplicity in, in this uh, in this day and age. So I'm totally with You're old right. man yells at cloud like, like Jordan is. I'm, 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 with, I'm with y'all on this one. Um, I, I've been thinking a lot about uh, on the ways that um, other roguelikes, or sorry, not roguelikes, uh, other Metroidvania games ha- have done the systems in this one better. Um but there's very few uh, games outside of this one that I think do them all as good as this one, if that makes sense. This game is all-encompassingly a joy to play. Um, other games have, you know, they have A and B but are lacking on C. Um, and A and B are great, but C is still only kind of okay. And it's it's less... It gets to the point where like I'll stop playing that one and I, I haven't played Dead Cells and. I guess a year at this point, but I've played through Symphony of the Night twice. <laughs> yeah, mm. I mean it's testament I... to the game really as well because it's so so brief that you can like change. Yeah. Once you know what you're doing, you can chainsaw through this rapidly, get through it in a night. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, it, you know, maybe it's a bit on the nose with it, but they're sort of thinking about what you guys are saying. Like exploration is the most key thing here, so it's really important that the game doesn't take you away from that by. As Jordan, you quite rightfully said, giving you a bunch of tutorials on every weapon or ability that you find, you just find it and then you go, okay, what does this do? And that's part of the exploration. It doesn't give you a bunch of menus. It doesn't put you in a room against a specific thing where you have to use it to get out or whatever. And obviously, in certain games, that works well enough. Uh, But in this game, which is all about your own control, your own choices and how you explore, and what you use to explore, and so on and so forth, it's really important that it just goes, here's a thing, you figure it out. And you're right, <laughs> more games could probably stand to do that in this day and age. Castlevania 1, you know, I, I know it's a much simpler game, but its tutorial was essentially, here's a platforming bit, here's an enemy, right, now here's a platforming bit with an enemy on the other side of the jump. Figure it and, out. And now you're at the boss. And yes, and now you're at the boss. Precisely, yeah. Um, and sort of dialing back to... I guess this feeds into what we were saying about finding that build. And, there, you know, there is a possibility of being like, okay, I'm really overpowered now. I've got it now. I've figured it out. I'm really <laughs> overpowered. But until you get to that point, 
Uh, it's not like this game is devoid of difficulty by any stretch. It's not nearly as difficult as the classic Castlevania games, certainly. Um, but I do appreciate the way that difficulty is kind of doled out in this game in that it's not ridiculous punishing jumps into doom spiraling nowhere, you know, as Castlevania is known for. Instead, it's more about, again, the way that Alucard controls, the lack of invincibility frames that he has yeah can really f you up the first time you play this game and you don't anticipate it it takes a while to get over that hump at least i found the first time i played it and i I, the the damn clock tower i'll never be good at getting through that clock tower i oh my god i nearly rage quit at one point when i played through it recently those producer heads it's it's not fun but like again they at least there's some difficulty in certain places despite how overpowered you get uh the way that that's set up for me i really like that (laughs) You know the terrifying thing is, and I can totally attest to how awful that clock tower is, when you realise that that entire section, as notorious as it is in most games, is technically the most optional it has ever been in any Castlevania game this time. Yep. It's evil. Mm-hmm. like Because it's mm-hmm. also just up to representation of the other games. You know, getting up and down them. Reduce the heads of having you knocking left and right, petrifying you. You've got these flying <laughs> with swords. And then there's like... <laughs> Four switches you have to toggle to get a secret area with normally some rubbish item in it. I think it's nothing like earth shattering either. It's like you know, here's a potion or here's a power of sire, whatever one of them is. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know that that puzzle did anything for years. <laughs> <laughs> like I knew the switches were there, but I didn't. I never my on my own before the internet. Before the internet, um, like I never drew the connection. That, like, if I hit them all, there, there would be a secret door that would open. Uh, I was the only one of my friends who knew that the um, the demon pushed the switch down to the catacombs. Mmm, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. switch needs to be pressed or something. I can't remember the words. The vocal delivery kind of gets crushed. <laughs> um, it hasn't been pressed yet. <laughs> oh, we okay. should press it. <laughs> Oh, God. It's the fairy who points out this wall looks breakable with, like, more of a... There's a, there's something funny about this wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It looks like you're writing a letter. <laughs> <laughs> Burger, you said, and then you get to the boss. So let's talk about that, definitely, because this mm-hmm. game, especially when we get to the inverted castle where everything goes topsy-turvy, there's a bunch of bosses in there in particular. Yeah. But there's a bunch of bosses throughout the whole game. Uh, many uh, in terms of the inverted castle, many of which you can totally avoid and miss. But what is everyone's sort of standout boss fights from Symphony of the Night? Um, you know, I might have just made a, a nasty <laughs> comment about him, but I really do love Legion as this sort of terrifying, disgusting sort of orgy of horror. These corpses trapped around this membrane that all just drop down and shimmy towards you. It's, Awful, and I love it. Um, and also, even though you can cheese it by getting really close, I actually, if you don't and you kind of try and fight it a bit mano y mano, I really like Cerberus as well. Yeah. Um, Burger, standout bosses for you? Um, first things first, Richter boss fight is actually really fun. Um, yeah. Because he comes into it real cocky. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he comes into it re- and you just smack the boy down. Um <laughs> Uh, I, I enjoyed that a lot of my most recent playthrough. I enjoyed that whole zone, actually, um, more than I ever remember doing. Just in the visual storytelling that that zone has, I think, is really powerful. Mm. Um, then, uh, so that's, I'll call that my favorite boss of the regular castle. Um, and then my favorite boss of the upside, upside down castle. Um, God, still, it still has to be the Grant Sci-Fi Trevor fight. Just because I, 
I think it's so thematically fun because they're yeah. all doing what they did in the like. In terms of at the time, this was the reference that we had for that game. So they all did their powers from the Castlevania three, and it was a kind of tough boss fight because you're managing three people who are throwing at you. Hmm. I also think, um, and we'll talk about story soon enough, but I think that this kind of this series didn't really do a whole lot of storytelling in its game, and it kind of was like, here's the new Castlevania get from point A to point B and beat up Dracula is pretty much how it goes. So to actually get something like this, which is like a throwback and ties this game even more into the Castlevania lore uh, to actually get to see these characters again, or, you know, not for real, but like sort can, of. Can I honorable uh, like mention That's like a cool thing. Sure. Uh, I'll let everybody else go for honorable mention. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Steve, uh, what are your standout bosses? I'll echo Legion, or Grand Faloon, as it's technically called yes, this time. Grand Faloon, yeah. Uh, it, uh, a boss so good that it's like in almost every other Egovania ever. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, quite rightly so. Don't take the shell off, you regret it. Um, I think <laughs> my other right way up favourites at Right Way Up Castle would be, you know, the first Dracula fight is just a great set piece, and then it's counterpart of, oh, you want an actually hard Dracula fight. Here's Count Ulrochs. Like, uh, yeah. absolute... I love him, but he's an absolute. Um, he does literally all the things Dracula does, but with like a lot more flair and a lot more like. Dare I say it? Screen filling projectile death. If you, if you don't know how to like you know use mist form to dodge or just generally evade his attacks, you're probably gonna get ripped apart a few times before you learn how to fight him. And you can just sit there at yeah. his table for half an hour before you wreck his room up. It's great. <laughs> uh, Jordan, what are your standout boss fights? Uh, yeah, I have to. I have to echo, especially with uh, Legion, because you know this is the best depiction of Legion, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably maybe from some degree of a, a technical standpoint, because it was presented as a sort of a much larger sort of room than you know yeah. perhaps it is yeah. on some of the handheld games. And that's what Legion needs. It needs a big room because it's going to fill with a lot of sprites. Um, but as, again, I echo with with all rocks. I hated all rocks. Um, it was at a point in sort of the playthrough where um, I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't necessarily sort of strong enough. Um, but yeah, I got I got kicked about by that, and it, you know, it likes to think that it's you know Mother Brain from Super Metroid running around with its beam and everything. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it was look at you was, running uh, around not- here with your beam. <laughs> 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 it was it was uh the probably the one that I got I got stuck on for you know a little while just because yes I am I'm not one of those people with reflexes I'm one of those people with an insurance policy <laughs> that maybe if I don't get all of it I get a little bit of health back and um I don't even know if I had those items by that point so yeah I was truly screwed when I first uh, went up against the Horrocks but there are yeah lots of lots of great bosses but they're they're really kind of like unconventional you know i I think of stuff like beelzebub Mm -hmm. Mm. and it's it's a weird one because it's not necessarily like it's it's easy but it also is not like hard but it's just a disgusting boss to face (laughs) yeah yeah. it's also a lot of plates to keep spinning you know it's a lot of things to juggle because like he sends flies after you he drops flies on the ground the flies on the ground will poison you which means you do less damage like um there's a, to, there's a lot going uh, on in that fight as well. To Beelzebub's credit, they improved on that particular boss fight immensely for um, Harmony of Despair because in, in yeah. Symphony, it just spawns random bugs and occasionally sweeps the sweeps room with you. He actually has like coordinated attacks with them, like waves, and you have to dodge them and evade them a bit more. 
previously yeah. in his later iterations. It's still have to break and, him apart, And he's though. bigger, too. Yeah. It reminds huh. me of the Legion fight, in a way. Like, I know in the Legion fight, you have to break the shell off and hit the core. Well, but in this case, it's, it's just breaking him apart. It's huge scale. Um, yes, I agree. It's fascinating how the bosses... is A lot of the bosses in this game are animated in a fascinating way. Um, they made a lot of individually um, very detailed sprites, and instead of like making the boss one sprite, different segments of the boss's limbs and stuff were different sprites, and they just animated yeah. them in a in, in the way they did, uh, which was which wild. often leads to really interesting animation. Let's face yeah. it, yeah, like almost looks marionette ish. Yes, for sure. Yeah, uh, Burger, what was your last? Oh, I, I wanted the... to comment on the um, the succubus boss fight. Not necessarily because I think it's it's like a necessarily very good boss fight in terms mm. of its mechanics, but in, in its execution and its presence in the game, I think is really really great. Mm. Yes, agreed. It's, it's like the a um, first story representation. Beat. Yeah, it's the first one like a proper big story beat you have to do, isn't it? Yeah. my first point on this is as what i already said you know this is the first time that series sort of told its story outside of instruction booklets and manuals really like before that castlevania games were hey look there's a castle over there i bet there's a big scary vampire in it you are such and such belmont better go do something about it every 100 years repeat process is pretty much what it was with the exception of little bits and pieces here and there um, Castlevania 3 obviously being a big one as it introduced many characters including Alucard who at the end of that game goes to sleep and then is awoken by the events taking place in Symphony of the Night mm-hmm. uh, rather interestingly of course Symphony of the Night doesn't start with Alucard it starts with the player playing as Richter um, and kind of from there we're presented this mystery of what's why is the castle back why is the castle still here what happened to Richter so on and so forth um, and Alucard has to kind of delve into the castle to deal with it. Um, Jordan, what do you make of the story of Symphony of the Night and uh, the way that it sort of presents itself? Well, I love the fact that we are opening with the end boss of a different game. Yeah, really I mean, unique. 
it's very reminiscent of like the Rocky movie series, where you almost <laughs> always get the finale fight as the opening intro for the next movie. Uh, and it works very well in this regard, because uh, I think it's a good place to put people who are about to go into a brand new type of Castlevania. Yeah. It's like, here you go, here's Richter. <laughs> I know that a lot of people around the world in 1997 would be like, who's Richter? <laughs> yeah. But still, it's sort of a case of, oh, wow, Like I know these stairs. Yeah. I know that tower in the background. I'm going to go fight Dracula. And mm. it's it's like, wow, I can't believe we're doing this straight away. And, uh, I, you know, I love, obviously, just to go back to a slight technical detail of gameplay, I love the fact that that fight actually defines how your your difficulty is going to start yep. off with, which is great, but that's by the mm-hmm. by. Yeah. Um, I love the idea of Alucard being an actual protagonist, a main character, featured in the series previously, but not the leading character uh, that you're going you're gonna to see throughout the entire game. And, you know, who doesn't love the idea of, you know family drama in a vampire family <laughs> you know it's just like it's like right lord of darkness and the lord of darkness's son are having uh you know a bit of a fracas um about exactly how they sh- how they should be you know dealing with uh this this whole you know castle thing We're having a bit of a tea and uh, yeah i i mean yeah i i love the way that castlevania sort of as a series sort of has made this uh, you know, movie monster, folklore monster universe, and they've got a whole hierarchy. Um, you know, the the fact that you have death is always the gopher. You know, <laughs> it, was this, it was the same in Rondo of Blood. It's like, just always kind of just checks in, just says, hey, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that. Why don't you, and, why don't you go ahead um, and stop? And you're like, no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's you are you are the rebel you are the rebellious son, you know. I and Alucard's not. probably like Alucard's probably like the vampire equivalent of a you know teenager at this point. You know, he's a little bit sort of you know dramatic and moody <laughs> and that. Uh, he's just woke up as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's it is very it is very easy to sort of um, attach yourself to the story, and I mean, thankfully, it's not like you're constantly stopping to be delivered yeah. story beats. But when they show up, it's it's. It's always great. Mm. It's always welcome. Um, it, I think they pace them out in the kind of way that makes sense for uh, a lot of the stages uh, that you're getting to throughout the game. That it makes sense when you're meeting people like uh, Maria. And uh, I mean, the only sort of thing that I can say, sort of negative from my own experience, is that I played the Xbox 360 version, which was missing the FMV cutscenes for a reason I don't understand. Mm. Um, so you can lose a little bit of context from the the story depending on which version you play yeah, yeah. um but other than that obviously it's quite it's quite straightforward it, you know you are you know now going to take down dracula as his own blood um i don't know exactly how i feel about the sort of the midpoint flashback sequence it's it feels unique because there's no other kind of point in the game where you have that sort of extended interaction sequence um I, i'm talking about the whole part with uh the flashback the sequence Lisa, of yeah. Mo- yeah, yeah like mother being burned at the stake and that and it's um yeah i don't know how to feel about it because it's it's not a whole long sequence but it's the only it's the one bit which maybe just sort of slows down a little bit but yeah besides that you can't really go wrong with this story i don't think i would agree with that actually um 
because most of the game's story, whilst it's great that this game actually tells its story in-game, unlike most of the other Castlevania games, it it's never overstays at any point. You kind of wander into some conversations and then just carry on going. That is the one point where it actually becomes a lot deeper. So it is a little bit like, well, okay, this is a thing. I like it, obviously, for as a fan of the Castlevania lore, you know, I love to see that part. And, uh, you know, knowing what we know about the characters and their history, that's really cool. But if you were just coming in fresh and you hadn't, you didn't really care, then sure, it can certainly slow things down. On the flip-flop of that, though, what you're saying about Richter, uh, I actually like that if you don't know who Richter Belmont is and why you should care. That's why it's great that the game kind of starts with it. It goes, here's his character. He's fighting Dracula. What happened to him? <laughs> it makes you an active part of the story. <laughs> Uh, really early on by making you play as overpowered Rick to Belmont and then taking him away and being like, oh, I wonder what happened to that guy, which is which is great. Um, Steve, what do you think of the story of Symphony of the Night and the way that it's dished out? I, it feels like the structure's obviously the way it has to be. You enter a certain zone and then Maria normally turns up and goes, exposition, exposition, you're a la carte, exposition. <laughs> Richter is in trouble. A la carte asks his question and then buggers off. Yeah. Which, which is okay, you know, it's okay. But they have less screen time together than Leon and Ada and still somehow form some kind of relationship by the end. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that what I'm really here for is Alucard being a sassy git to Dracula and to, and to <laughs> death. You know, anytime he's just being an <laughs> for somebody is when I'm like, you know, yes. You know, you took the face of my mother. You could stay here for all eternity as he kills a succubus demon in his nightmares. Okay, fair enough. Uh, You're going to quote the lady quarter, right, Steve? Steve uh, Trouble the soul of my mother no more. That's the one. What kind of (laughs) demon are you? You know, it's (laughs) Alucard being a basic intimidating figure is more interesting to me than actually peeling the onion layers of how do we save Richter today? Because he he seems about as bothered about it as I am. He's literally here to stop the castle and doesn't give a Jeff otherwise. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I mean, that's fair. I'll tell you what. It does help that um, I watch. I only recently saw the Rondo of Blood opening cutscenes for the first time because this time around I played the PS4 collection. I, can, I forget what it's called. Someone knows. Um, and it has Symphony and Rondo on it, which is the first, first time I've had the opportunity to play Rondo of Blood rather than the SNES version. Um, and that's got a super rad opening that it actually kind of foreshadows what the anime, anime is going to be like. Um, so it makes sense that Symphony and I sort of jumped on that from storytelling and it made me care I mean I love Richter anyway but you see those cutscenes and you get pumped up about Richter but if you haven't played Rondo of Blood which is highly likely because it was on some obscure console it's like a PC engine game isn't it yeah Uh, so yeah you're right as you say who gives a Jeff is different (laughs) I do like the like there are standout moments obviously like Richter versus Dracula that the any encounter with death and uh, the the Colosseum fight where Richter first encounters uh, Alucard and they basically have an, a uh, you're going to die here come hell servants oh. bogging them up like oh, ooh battle with Belmont <laughs> then he's a bit different from what I remember you know um, <laughs> you are Draculaar yeah <laughs> Berger what do you make of the uh, Symphony of the Night story so the story when I was younger was much more detailed and layered and complex <laughs> um, in my brain uh, as yeah. it's, it's still good um, I'm very excited for the anime but at, you know, like Jordan uh, and Steve both pointed out for its strengths and how it's delivered um, it is still a product of its time in that regard um, 
I enjoy it. I appreciate it. I love it very much. The story of Castlevania Symphony Night is something I will remember for the entirety of my being. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I am ultimately at this point more excited to see, especially given they're going to go off on a short tangent here is like Castlevania story overall is like, I'm really happy with how the story of Castlevania three was portrayed. Castlevania three and kind of bloodlines was portrayed in the animated series. Um, yeah. as like a restaging point for, Hey, here's Castlevania lore up to now guys. Here's, this is, this is new Castlevania lore. And then to see that the next season is going to be Richter's journey. Um, I'm very excited. Incredibly so. Um, yes. They've done wonderful things taking sort of simple bullet points and turning them into more than not just simple bullet points, obviously, because the stuff they've taken from the PS2 games is super complex. But when they kind of build up characters from Castlevania 3 and turn them into something as fleshed out that they have with the animated series, it's very exciting uh, to see what they could potentially do with Rondo and Symphony of the Night, definitely, which has. A structure, but absolutely nobody plays Symphony of the Night over and over again for the story, do they? Where people are here for the gameplay and the presentation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's perfectly fine. It's good, even it's good. That it doesn't stay, stick around too long, but it's clearly not. <laughs> it's not a Shakespearean classic. <clears throat> on that note, then we've touched on it a little bit. Let's talk about the audio for the game. The voice acting, in particular, obviously leads us in from there. I think we'll. You know, that's, that's something that definitely needs to be discussed. Um, not quite to the same level of Resident Evil 1, but it is remembered and talked about for kind of being campy and wonderful in its own way. I don't think of it... It's laughed at to quite the same extent, with maybe with the exception of sort of that opening scene. Some of it is bad, bad, but some of it is glorious, bad, you know, like Dracula. And, uh, you know, I've said it before, and I think we're all in agreement. I will always love uh, Belgrade's bassy tones as Alucard. Uh, There's just something wonderful about I'm interested in this and all that kind of stuff. And again, as I say, I played the game on PS4 this time around, which has a different voiceover to it. Oh, no. And it's kind of lame, to be honest. You had Solus Lowenthal, didn't you? Yes, exactly Uh, that. It was very just blur. Just very uninteresting, and it, it lost some of that charm to it. Um, I just, I don't know, not that you should take a game like this and be like, we're going to update a bunch of parts of it, but if you're you're leaving the game exactly the same as intended as it was, why just update one thing, the voiceover? It's part of the overall package, it didn't make sense to me at the time, it definitely didn't make sense to me now that I played it, it didn't ruin my experience, but bleh, it's lame, it's just lame. Um, Nonetheless... Steve, how do we feel about the voiceovers and the cast of uh, Symphony of the Night? I say no, no disrespect to the re-recorded version. Like you know, the, there there are some really good actors there. I feel like it's a strange situation where they're trying to do a '90s era script and deliver it with a bit of professional competence. The story kind of doesn't deserve, and it harms it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. th- there is some charm to the old the old voice acting delivery and the way that you know Dracula is straight up devouring every scene he's in, which admittedly is only two. You know, Alucard, I feel like this is a personal bias thing. I still think that Robert Belgrade's Alucard would be great even now. Like, yes. I, I know he's probably not the best actor in the whole world ever, but there's just something about the way he delivers that it's not it's not soullessly monotonal. Like, you know, he's got a lot of emotion and cadence, particularly when he's off in that dream sequence. And it just yeah. works. You know, generally in fiction these days, vampires are depicted very... Um, I don't know what the right term would be like, you know, high tone and yes, effeminate and posh and Right, absolutely, regal. especially 
what's funny about that, obviously, because when you look at sort of like the key art of Symphony of the Night, and it's got that Bashonen Gothic mm. art style, and Alucard is this sort of feminine, long-haired dude, very, you know, cute guy, you'd expect a voice like that. But no, I, I love that it's different. Yeah, so it, it, nowadays it reminds me a bit of George Newbern's Sephiroth. Or Sephiroth, however you pronounce that. Uh, but, right. Uh, but Belgrade, like if if the, if Konami, if you ever pulled the trigger on a new Symphony of the Night or a new Castlevania, get him back. Like you know, yeah, it, it, it works sure. so much better having a bassy baritone protagonist. It's just something that's a bit different, you know, than most heroes of the day, which are either jockey dudes or plucky teenagers. So mm. I don't know, it makes him feel more adult. As for everybody mm. else, generally speaking, they are that right level of camp or stupid. Except maybe Maria. She's a bit grating on my poor ears. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, one thing that I also wanted to point out, because before I forget, uh, something that I miss from the original VO when I uh, got the new one is, in the original Symphony of the Night, every, the way that everyone said Richter, I just love the, like, they just go Richter, and I'm like, you know what, I love that. I don't know why, it's kind of dumb, but let's do it. Uh, no, that's that's been gone. That's been lost to time. I don't know if it's ever said that way again in any Castlevania game, for all I know. Uh, but I'm going to assume that that's Rich something. Rich to Belmont? Yeah, Rich to Belmont. <laughs> Rich to uh, Belmont. Rich T. Belmont. <laughs> yeah. I, so I hope the anime brings back the in his name, please. I would like some of that. Jordan, how do you feel about the voiceover in the game? Yeah, uh, I like it uh, generally. I think it says a lot that... Uh, when you take that cast away, a lot of people miss them. Yeah. Um, because as cheesy as it is, as over the top as it is, I like the energy. I like the enthusiasm. Um, and, you know, who <laughs> who doesn't know a good majority of the opening, uh, you know, rabble between Richter and Dracula sort of off by heart at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very It's very memorable and distinct. Um, I and know it does there not are feel... plenty of people out there that know it have never played the game before. Let's put it that way, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. And um, it's it doesn't um, it doesn't take you out of the scene because I mean you are p- playing a game series that has very much been uh, a love letter to many a B movie yeah. from the fifties you know, and sixties and that, um, and also. Uh, in 1997 especially, you couldn't be picky with Castlevania voice acting. <laughs> You'd had scraps from the table up until this point, especially if you're a, you know, an English speaker, because, uh, well, the experience at that point was largely derived from Rondo of Blood, which wasn't, wasn't really released anywhere else, so you either had um, a German language or a Japanese language. Uh, and <laughs> the only other example before that is the Captain N series. <laughs> Where oh, it's no. it's Dracula with the most sort of stereotypical Bella Lugosi yeah. Dracula voice. So, I, compared to that, of course, this is like Shakespeare in comparison. But it's uh, it, it does its job, and uh, I echo everything with regards to Alucard's voice actor. It almost tempts you to take that PS One black disc and put it in your <laughs> hi fi just to hear him scold you for doing so. Um, and plus that kick-ass tune that then comes right in afterwards. <laughs> Again, I want to just like say thank you to Igarashi for bringing him back for Bloodstained, literally as the love letter character to Alucard. Like, my God. It's... <laughs> just to speak hypothetically, imagine Capcom are doing this classics collection of Resident Evil. 
Yeah. And they dare tread the hallowed ground of redoing the voices. The internet would pitch Ugh. rightfully a fit. And it's the same situation yes. exactly right now. If they had just recorded the same text with new dialogue, I'd be completely fine with that. G- give me new actors even. Just like keep the words the same. Do we know why they changed them? They still have the audio because the XBLA version is still the OG version, you know? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's not like the Silent Hill 2 issue or the Silent Hill 3 issue where we lost the Masters because we're Konami and stupid. You know, they just yeah. did it for the fun of it. Yeah, it's um, bizarre, isn't it? Okay. Absolutely pointless. I want to say it was a parody with the remake of Rondo of Blood. They used the same voice actors that yeah. appeared in both, but... I- I thought it might have something to do with that, that maybe, you know, they'd brought in new actors and they thought, you know well, yeah, we'll, funny about that, we'll have then. a retrospective version. When I booted up Rondo of Blood on that collection, the intro was in German, so... Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean the the PSP Dracula X collection. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that makes, that yeah, makes the, sense. The original Rondo of Blood is, is a bit all over the place because I think it has narration in German, um, which is, by the way, a great oh, it, language to watch the Netflix series. It really? It feels like it... it I can believe it. Yeah, it really, I can believe it really it. works well. The Rondo of Blood German, intro in German is like... It's like something about you, like, this is this feels right. <laughs> it's it's something about um, the German voice actor for Dracula that just works really well, so <laughs> try it. There you go. You can do it on your Netflix account. <laughs> I'm going to go and do that um, after this. <laughs> But yeah, so it's. I think it's like narration in German, which was a stylistic choice, I believe, by Konami at the time. And then for the rest of Rondra Blood, like all the other cutscenes actually featuring, like, you know, um, Richter and Maria talking to each other. I believe that's in Japanese. Mm. And it's very anime. I bet it is. Symphony of the Night is kind of slightly less anime. Yeah. Um, I think they kind of maybe tonally kind of move away from that uh, slightly. But yeah, I, th- I think it is perfectly serviceable especially in 97 where you know voice acting was not always hitting the mark Mm. um granted you would have um you know metal gear solid come around not long after and show everybody what it's like to have sort of you know long stretches of dialogue delivered by some you know fantastic voice actors so we're right around the period where the game is starting to be elevated Mm. but Cheesy lines and cheesy delivery is still pretty much the you know the the, the, the topic of the yeah, day. Yeah. Yes, For sure. Um, Burger, what do you think of the voice acting in the game? And also, since we can now launch into it, feel free to get into the soundtrack as well. Um, voice acting of the game is, uh, I think, what's been said has been said. It, it's iconic, if just for the nostalgia part of it. Like, yeah, for sure. Um, I probably. From a, from a jumping off point, can probably remember any any conversation in that game. Um, if not pulling out of my head, there somebody like like earlier when Steve did the this, the succubus line. I remember once he started talking about it. I remember the whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. And there's something about that to a point when there's this like big incongruency when I was playing the most recent playthrough on the PlayStation Five. I'm playing the exact same collection that um, Saya is playing. Yeah. Um, where it's like. I'll go to do Dark Metamorphosis because my health is low, and it's cool that it comes out of my controller, but it's also not Dark Metamorphosis, <laughs> which sounds menacing. It sounds dark. It just sounds like other cards when saying Dark Metamorphosis. Um, yeah, he's just happy to be here. And then, like you know, the dark conversation. Dark Metamorphosis. <laughs> Sorry. I I remember I remember when I first booted it up, uh, my, my spouse and I were sitting down 
And, you know, I go up to Dracula as Richter and I go, die, monster. Wait, he's not saying that. Yeah, right. It's horrible. (laughs) It's It's just so weird. And every conversation is just like, it's like coming home from a long time and the, and the, like, you've been away for a few years and all the slang is different. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the Mockbuster version of Symphony of the Night. You've got the right. Cosmorphous version. Like, oh. well, the script's similar, but not right. And this it's... makes me irrationally mad. Um, <laughs> so, ultimately speaking, the original, the original voice actor is great Is is great for how much was ingrained um, in, in me playing it at such, I guess, an impactful yeah. age. Um I I am mad about the the voice actors on the new version of it. Like actively, I'm I'm mad about it because you could have gotten the guy from the TV show to do it, and that would have been better. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Um, it's as we say. I think that what I was myself saying is that it just seems completely needless. So yeah, that's the worst uh, thing. I think it's hard to be mad about the soundtrack. Though, it's so good. Focus on the positive. <laughs> Holy. Sh- um, I, I gotta tell you, I'm, si- I'm sitting here thinking this entire time. Like, what's my? Fa- There's gonna be what's your favorite track on the soundtrack, and I can't. Oh, I'm, I no, 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 I'm not that mean. Uh, I can't pick one. <laughs> I could, I could maybe narrow it down to three songs that I would just listen to at any time of day. Um, and it's the Marble Gallery, the uh, Crystal Caves, and um, Lost Painting. Lost Painting, obviously. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. There it is. That's the top three of Symphony of the Night, everybody. There you go. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean... God, Last yeah, Painting is so good. Yeah, that track alone is... I mean, I could talk about that all day, but like the soundtrack top to bottom, what makes it so incredible is just how winding and like varied it is. I think I tweeted about this on the lead up to this. I was looking through Castlevania covers trying to figure out what we we're going to drop into the podcast. And... Just the breadth of different covers that this game has produced, mm-hmm. you know, rock and metal and also jazz, synthetic, all kinds of stuff. Someone was playing something on an accordion and I was like, this is amazing. Just goes <laughs> to show how great the music is from top to bottom, how adaptable the music is from top to bottom, and also just how appealing it is to in all of its different forms. Like I, every other video game soundtrack should be jealous of this. This is yeah. really... For me, up there is one of the best video game soundtracks of all time. Mm-hmm. Hyperbole aside, it's incredible. Uh, I don't even know what to say beyond that. It's just amazing. Uh, Steve, what do you make of the soundtrack? Like Konami and Castlevania, like yeah, you know, the, the, they can just walk into any like you know discography and like yeah, we're, we're winning. We, we smash yeah. this to bits because yeah. most yeah. Castlevania games have a banger soundtrack, and this is like a tentpole one of them. That's how mm-hmm. good it is. It's, I don't know if it's my favorite favorite, but it's definitely like top three, top four. You know, it's 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 mm, chef's kiss. Like uh, it's Michiru Amane, I believe, right? And uh, just smashed it. Yes. Like I, the the original tracks that I particularly like in this one are Pitiful Scion or Tragic Prince, which is the clock tower theme, yeah. and Dracula's Castle, the opening one. And there's also the catacombs, yes. which is just like. Dun, dun, which yeah. is totally completely different from the rest of the game. It's just nice, meow, meow. chilled. Yeah, yeah. It's there's, some, there's a lot of tones. We go all over the place. And then there's also these classic remixes. Especially if you play as Richter, he gets quite a few. Yeah, he does. Uh, personally, yeah. I hate Lost Painting. 
and I hate the other oh. one that plays, and that's only because the Inverted Castle has like three songs, and they're two yes, of them. Yes, agreed. Agreed. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. it purely from the fact of, I can recognise it's a lovely, nice, relaxing tune for an ominous, scary place, but I've heard it five bajillion bloody times. Um, <laughs> it's the greatest so song ever made, Steve. Uh, it, it, the luster wears off. <laughs> the, the luster just wears away. I mean, even the boss themes in this, like, you know, I would say they're probably, the regular boss themes are probably one of the weaker tracks, but it's still got, like, pomp, menace, uh, you know, almost yeah. a Final Fantasy oh, tone to it. I, I'm the opposite. I love that opening lick to the boss trap. Oh, it gives me chills every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. It's like, Sorry, headphone. Bam, don't use it. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> I'll be yeah, though, in terms of like, because you're right, Steve, <laughs> Castlevania sound and soundtrack is synonymous with gold, pure gold since day one. I think when we talk about the best soundtracks in the series, Castlevania one is always battling everything e- else for me. It's it, the original game is still a masterpiece. Um, Castlevania have a bad soundtrack challenge, impossible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, even Judgment soundtrack <laughs> think- was fire. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, forget the rest of the game. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I think that what's great is just how, by this point, how varied it was. Because I, we haven't obviously the first three games on the NES. There's only so much you can do. It is an eight-bit system, and then from there, your other games kind of just tried a bunch of different stuff. And I think that whilst I like a lot of Super Castlevania Four soundtrack, a, a lot of it, uh, some of it kind of was lost on me. Like there's this really weird jazz flute number that Sherwin always <laughs> likes to point out to me because I hate it. Um, and and this game actually managed to do something cool in that vein. I was like, there you go. There it is. And I feel like, and I, again, I haven't played many games following this. I would hope that other games kind of take inspiration from this. I know Circle of the Moon really just used a lot of remixes, which is a shame. Um, but I, yeah, this should have set a blueprint. Whether or not it does, again, I can't necessarily speak to that. Uh, Jordan, what do you make of the soundtrack for Symphony of the Night? Oh, it's it's perfect, yep. pretty much. Yep. Uh, I I well and truly praise at the altar of Michio Yamane. She was coming off the back of another Castlevania game when she uh, composed this soundtrack. She did Bloodlines, uh, didn't she? So she did Bloodlines right. in '94, and then yeah, Symphony of the Night in '97. And uh, I mean, I I love both soundtracks, yeah. but mm-hmm. especially yeah. with Symphony of the Night, it's incredibly ambitious. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes from that wonderful little period of time, right in the sort of the the mid '90s, basically, where there were a lot more games on CD, and boy, were developers using it to you know bring in some some great CD quality audio, which sort of it opened up what you could actually do with the instrumentation. Um, and this is. Uh, I, I like I struggle to think of not just games in Castlevania, but just games in general that have such a uh, cacophony of different <laughs> genres being shoved into its its score. Basically, mm. um, there you will go from one room to another, and it, it it just it feels like madness because you do not know what you're going to get in the next room. It could be some wonderful sort of classical Rococo sort of early music style. And then the next room is just, you know, whammying out the electric guitar. It's fantastic. (laughs) And I think it suits something like Dracula's castle. And obviously speaking of Dracula's castle, uh, what a tune to kind of, once you're in the, the, the real meat of the game, 
what a tune to basically sort of open up the main part of your playthrough with. Dracula's uh, Castle is just a fantastic theme. I remember the very first time that I played the game, that's what got me into the mood proper. Up until that point, I'd been sort of easing my way in. I was like, I'm liking this so far. And then once I was actually in the castle and I had music like that blasting through, uh, yeah, I was I was strapped in and, and ready to enjoy everything that I was going to then not only see, but hear. I mean, going back to Symphony of the Night now, obviously I know it like the back of my hand for the most part, so it's very easy to just jump in and play. <laughs> the game ends up becoming a bit of a sort of a sing-along Castlevania <laughs> Symphony of the Night for me, because I just go from room to room and I'm humming all of the songs. Uh, yeah. Even if I'm only going in that room for like, two seconds and I come back out and I start the next song. I hum again. Um, it is just uh, abundantly catchy and that, despite the fact that there's always going to be something very different every time you enter a different room, which means that there is a chance that you might not like as many songs. And yet, despite that, uh, there's just there's so much great variety and it seems like they always hit. I, I can't think of really any miss that I, I could say from, you know, this soundtrack. Um, if I was going to give a top three, um, well, I'll edit in the names because I'm terrible with track names, but I know what my top three is, at least in my head. So, uh, Jordan, edit this in before you send it over. Uh, song title one, Woodcarver and Petita. Song title two, The Tragic Prince. Song title three, Rainbow Cemetery. And those are my three top tracks from Symphony of the Night. Well, I'm inspired. <laughs> those are coincidentally all my favorites as well. I can't believe you chose that one. <laughs> okay. There is a thing that the game does uh, in delivering its soundtrack that I think is uh, part of its genius. Uh, and it's the fact that there's a buffer room. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to mention that. Oh, was that part of, was that going to be in visuals? Or... No, no, no. Go go um, ahead. So like for those who have never played the game, which I'm going to guess nobody listening to this podcast hasn't played the game, but I'm going to pretend that there is. Um, between each of these rooms where they're delivering this this absolutely fantastic soundtrack that's like Jordan said, absolutely perfect in every single way. There's just this like there's a loading room. A little corridor. Yeah, there's yeah. a corridor that's just silent. Mm-hmm. And then you hit this the door opens and much like a Resident Evil game, the door opens and you're presented with what's next. Mm. Uh, you're right, it's probably for loading, but it works really well as like this anticipation of good yeah. jams. Yeah. <laughs> You say silent, you normally got a sniffing sound as you're backdashing everywhere. <laughs> I don't backdash in Symphony of the Night. I think it's the coward's way. <laughs> I have to admit, he's got such a good walk animation. Why waste it? You know Exactly what I was going to open up the next section with on visuals, which I think, like just like the soundtrack, we can just talk about the incredible variety. But yeah, the run cycle is absolutely my go-to sort of compliment for the visual design of this game. Might well be the smoothest run cycle I've ever seen. Uh, Steve, what do you make of the visual design of Symphony of the Night? It's a cheat, it's a conceit, because it's borrowing from like the likes of Super Castlevania 4 and Rondo of Blood, but damn, it, it is one of the most beautiful looking 2D games even now. Like, you know, it, it puts like the pre-rendered backgrounds of Resident Evil on watch, maybe not to shame, but on watch, you know, keeping, mm. keeping a watchful eye on things. Most of the enemies, if they're either like a single conceptual sprite or groups of sprites put together on like a, a patchwork frame, 
majestic to look at and watch him animate. You know, most of them explode violently and horribly when you swipe them as well. It's it's pretty <laughs> much a good effect. Yeah. There's lots of effects across the board on this, especially stuff that like melts and dissipates. Alucard mm. himself. That's the yeah, Alucard's like after images as well. Yeah. Really cool that the, the after image effect, it like any time you jump or do a back dash, you've got like a rippling thing, which adds to the whole vampiric feel. Um, mm. There are like, I swear, he's got more animation frames like than the entirety of Castlevania 1, 2, and 3 put together, just on a la carte, it feels mm-hmm. like. For everything he can mm-hmm. do, it's it, breathtaking. Even now, like, a game from 1997 can be that well animated. That, you know, it's... I want to, Not to dial things around a bit, but the, 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 the Kickstarter for Bloodstained originally had promo artwork that was 2D. And I yeah. guarantee the, the, neg- the negative reaction to the 2.5 3D stuff they used in the end is probably because of the legacy this game set forward because of that art mm. style and the fact that we weren't getting that true art style disappointed folks it's that good people miss it even now yeah yeah for sure it's uh we've done quite well i think not to repeat ourselves from our last podcast but i did want to point this thing out was what you're saying about how it's you know a really beautiful 2d game you're absolutely right at the time you know places were kind of it was kind of bold of Konami to do that because this is right on the cusp of 3D and everything needs to be 3D out of 3D now and this is the future. Um, it's that so, Nintendo Power article, isn't it? Where they ex- put- Exactly that I was going to mention. Nintendo Power, just outright. And I know that obviously they're trying to sell something else to people. So they're kind of making fun of Castlevania Symphony of the Night's outdated art style uh, and Castlevania 64 is going to be so much better when it's in 3D. And obviously... It's a massive turd of a game. So <laughs> it's, you know, it's wonderful to look back on those things and be like, no, this was absolutely the right move to do. It doesn't matter if they're going to a console that was perhaps primarily designed for 3D. What they what they managed to do is, as you said, put off one of the most beautiful 2D games of all time because not just where it was from a technical standpoint, but like stylistically and stuff like that. It's, I, I love how characterful all the areas yeah. of this castle are you know i don't want this to turn into me bagging on tubal castlevania but apparently it's going to happen again but like, <laughs> at, at times that game's a little bit bright for me it works in its own way but i like this it's i like this not being quite as bright i wouldn't say it's dark i wouldn't say that it's dreary but it's not bombastic instead it's just flush with detail and stuff like that uh burger what do you think of the visual design of symphony of the night um i love it I absolutely do. It's it's part of it's part of the experience. It it makes it, it it it's a treat to the eyes. Each zone looks interesting and unique. Um the enemy design, even palette swap enemies are, are really fun to see and and fun to engage with. Like um there's so much character. Like you said, that's a good that's a good example for this game. It's, each zone has so much character in it. Like when you're walking around the um yeah, this is the marble gallery that has the Ouija table. Yes. Yeah, you're just walking down the hallway, and then this table gets up and starts throwing at you. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's wild. Then then you're going through another area. You, uh, there's the tower. There's the right hand side of the tower where the uh, the winged guards are coming through, and then there's the blue crows. And then you get up to the top, and and you might not notice her, but there's a woman standing there with a sword who's invisible. Um, and it kind of takes you by surprise because the because mm. they're invisible um i i i 
I love I love climbing that tower because of the like there's the bell like there's so much there, there's so much stuff. Um, yeah. God, there's there's just rooms that are there to be cool too, which is nice. Um, like when you go up to the the. Well, actually, that actually has a purpose when you go up and do the um. In the place where the birds are, there's the, the telescope. Yeah, well, there's the tele. I'll talk about the telescope where you watch Chiron. You have to, oh, yeah. you have to spawn the, the boatman. But also that confessional scene is really fun, like visually. Um, mm. That's one thing I did like about the the remake. The remake added a voice line to that. Um, oh, right. Okay, cool. Yeah, the, he'll come in and say something and either stab you or, or leave you with an item. And there's an achievement for doing it. Um, I don't want to get sidetracked, but I think the music that plays in that confessional is also used in the first church in Silent Hill when you meet What's-A-Face. Only huh. there. I, I could be wrong, but it's, they sound so similar. Like it, the, the, it, it resonates in my brain that, oh, I've heard this in a different game before. I'm interested <laughs> in this. <You> know? <laughs> it's also an awesome yeah. sound. Like The fact that it's in that like, one room. Um, yeah. That that room alone I love. I love, um, I love how much there is to uncover... Uh, Whew. Uh, you got well, we've mentioned Alucard. The the man is gorgeous and he's perfect. Um and I gotta tell you, I love his little like dashboard like he like you know starts off with a jump when he runs. Um mm. his I love I, I've I've talked about his jump animation at the top of the program. I'm gonna talk about it again. It's it's the it's a perfect arc. It's a it's almost a, it's a para, it's it's almost the ideal jump arc for a video game I I feel. And then when he does his double jump, there's this moment of reaching and his cape like flutters. Yeah. To like yeah. push him up some more. Uh transforming between your different forms and how seamlessly that can kind of happen too is really cool. Like I love there's this little thing when you um go from mist to any other form, the mist like sucks into the middle. Mm. Um, I love that animation. Uh, whew. I think it's really cool. You mentioned something like uh, Alucard's cape and stuff like that. It's an example of like little details, mm-hmm. just little details like that. But also, it also does the big things right. Like when I think of really visually impactful rooms, I always think of the bit. Um, I can't remember the name of the area, but once you go up the big giant staircase, and then the next room is where you fight the enemy that's comprised of loads of swords and then behind that that's you've the got chapel. all these stained glass windows yeah. yeah um and that's always like that's stunning to that me. room too because he's he like he said he is in front of a big stained glass window to a point when you like you, when you enter that room for the first time you're almost convinced that it's part of the window right and then the swords yeah, it's 3d as well isn't it the background's 3d in that room is it? it's like yeah. a cathedral it is, it, yeah it's yeah. one of the one of the few certainly um jordan what do you make of the visual design of symphony of the night well, I for one, I really like that it is um, very much a uh, traditional transition from the previous Castlevania games. It does have some of the trimmings of Super Castlevania 4, some of the trimmings of Rondo of Blood that it sort of carries in and uh, just sort of expands and sort of emphasizes the detail. I, I mean, this is a game where, you know, there is not a single pixel wasted. Yeah. Um, it is incredibly dense, and it goes to show what experience brings you. Uh, if you have been making 2D games for a long time, you do end up accruing an industry full of people who are just... They've got buckets of talent for 2D pixel art. Mm. And this game, 
and a few other choice selections from the late 90s are that that latter celebration of it um, in the advent of the 3D era where there was just so many people who you know were being sort of you know pulled along and, and having to sort of pick up uh, a politi- polygonal de- design uh, you did have these different pockets of you know just beyond gold standard examples of just wonderful pixel animation and I'm, I'm thinking of things like Street Fighter 3 and uh, obviously the Metal Slug series and Symphony of the Night is is up there. I, I you know I think that obviously you look at something as so fluid and just a wonderful motion to things <laughs> like Alucard's walk cycle. Uh, it's it's exquisite and the whole game is just so meticulously mm. detailed. Uh, every single room comes out as very distinct without feeling busy. Mm. Um, the the backgrounds are not plain. Uh, yet everything feels exceptionally clean. I also, uh, I've always had this sort of a sticking point of exactly how large a protagonist sprite should be on the screen. Right, yeah. Bear in mind, we're talking about a, you know, 4 by 3 ratio uh, for most people that would be playing this game, um, usually on smaller TVs. I think they got it perfect with regards to uh, how big Alucard is compared to the rest of the space. That is something that can be... Very tricky to nail down, and obviously Castlevania itself has shifted massively back and forth on that over the years, but I think that they got it uh, just right with Symphony of the Night. Um, there's enough space to move or move the character around the screen and fight your enemies and be aware of enemies that are coming towards you uh, without it being too much of a, a case of getting your character lost in the screen. Yeah. So, uh, excellent balance, and... That's the key emphasis, is just the the wonderful experience. I mean, I don't know exactly how many artists uh, were carried over from previous Castlevania games, uh, or obviously other previous sort of 2D games at Konami, but I mean, I would assume that there are a lot of people um, that did transfer over and had that experience of working on those sprites before, uh, where there's maybe some elements that have been reused from Rondo, and maybe even Super Castlevania 4. I think it's easy to forgive. Because it's got a, you know, it's got a huge enemy list mm-hmm. in in Symphony of the Night, uh, and it's something that the series would not shy away from once it actually went onto handhelds. It was more of a case of no, let's let's build on this, let's sort of build the legacy of these assets, um, which kind of makes you very thankful that there are systems like Game Boy Advance and the DS uh, that did have so many um, avenues for pixel artists to continue honing their craft. And so this is a period of time, it's sort of, it's one of those places where a lot of 2D games would get sort of forgotten about, even though they had some just wonderful technical direction and and art direction. Uh, Symphony of the Night is one of those few exceptions which broke through and, you know, made it sort of unavoidable. You had to see a game like Symphony of the Night and how good it looked. Mm -hmm. Um, So it wasn't just about how good it sounded, but just... The presentation overall was fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I think they nailed pretty much everything. And it ended up setting up the kind of standard that, um, especially once they got to the DS systems, the Castlevania games on the DS systems uh, were very faithful to that. And, you know, again, like, I mean, say you say you played up to, like, Circle of the Moon. You, that means you've got quite a few other games where you've pretty much got this standard of artwork throughout. Yeah. And that's that's what I love about Castlevania as a as a series is that um, it always builds on its on its legacy and it builds on its its previous sort of art assets and makes the most of it. So uh, this is 
one of the few times where Symphony of the Night is not necessarily the very best standard. I think I think it's probably the best experience as a game and as a sort of a, a Metroidvania in this series. But ironically, this is where the artwork starts to really ramp up. Mm-hmm. And it's because Symphony of the Night nailed it so well that it led to more artists pushing it further and further. So, yeah, standout game artwork. I need to I need to interject and uh, contradict everything everybody has just said uh, for one very important thing. I, I mostly agree with what you just said, Jordan. However, there is one glaring, dare I say, obnoxiously painful caveat. The... Um, the in-game menu that you use a lot of the time and you interact with to change <laughs> a la carte stuff and look at your relics you have equipped to change familiars is made by uh-huh. the work experience kid. It's it's kind of <laughs> awful. Like in every other yeah. game since this, it's got something really nice to look at. And this is basically a Final Fantasy holdover screen um, with a massive portrait I- of a la carte <laughs> and then bland text. I agree. I'm okay with that. I- I'm glad you. Uh, yes. I'm glad you said it, Steve. Actually, we've been entirely too nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that that's crap, and I hate a poor screen that pauses my music. Thanks. Not <laughs> you fan, know, not a fan o- of that. Other than that, you know, you a star. You're still going to be humming it. It's fine. You <laughs> yeah, know the song. I'll be out carry of sync it when I unpause it. That's the problem. I'm pretty sure the music doesn't. It, it stops, doesn't it? But it doesn't. It doesn't like reset the track when you unpause. I don't either. think it. I don't think it resets. That's the worst kind, but it shouldn't stop at all. Like if I'm looking through all my stuff, I want a, a tasty jam to listen to while I'm doing it. <laughs> I think, but fair enough, Steve. I, I I do concede the point that yes, I, I forgot about that ghastly <laughs> gradient that really does invalidate every other art piece in this. <laughs> no, 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 it's just it, 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 it's worth mentioning that it, you know, in a game of brilliant aesthetics and honestly a modest but very interesting to look at hood. But, and that's different for each character. You know, Richter and mm-hmm. Alucard have unique hoods. Mm-hmm. You know, then the, the inventory screen is this generic-ass 1993-looking thing. Yes. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, in full, I'm in full agreement because, like, even if you compare it to Super Metroid, Super Metroid had oh, a great God. Yeah, inventory You can't compare it to Super Metroid. And obviously... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if there's any game to compare to, it surely is the other parent of the genre. Just... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but uh, but even the other Castlevania games that follows, even with Circle of the Moon, yes, the the detailing on the menu does does get better. That was the one thing they must have like shipped it out, and then they they all just like slapped their foreheads. They said, "We forgot to do this. We for- we forgot to put the menu." That's it. That, that's why the N sixty four guys thought they had a winner because they saw the hood and nothing else. What did the temp put in? Oh, I put in like some kind of like rainbow gradient or something like that. No, not the rainbow gradient. No. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm glad that we put a criticism in there because we've been very, very complimentary about this game throughout. So uh, now that we get to conclusions, I think everybody kind of knows where we sit with it. But that's okay. It's not just us. Just to give a quick rundown on review scores at the time, 1up.com gave it an A. CVG gave it 5 out of 5. Edge gave it out 8 out of 10. Eurogamer, 9 out of 10 on the Xbox 360. Uh, Famitsu gave it 30 out of 40, which is a little bit low, to be honest. Game and Format, 9.5 out of 10, so on and so forth. Um, it has been called Game of It was called Game of the Year. It's been called one of the best games of all time. It's called one of the best games on PlayStation, so on and so forth. Um, it's a legendary title, which is probably why we sat here and just sung its praises for a couple of hours. Steve, can you sum up your feelings on Castlevania Symphony of the Night? It's a bit good, isn't it? Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit good. Like, <laughs> for me personally, is it my favourite Castlevania? No. 
Is it a hell of a good time? Yes. Is it very well put together? Yes. Is it is it welcoming to newcomers? Also, yes. Does it have a banger soundtrack? Yes. You know, the, 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 the pros vastly outweigh the cons. And if you've never played this game and us for some reason, this is this podcast. One, good on you for getting, like, you know, 140 minutes in. But <laughs> get off your ass and plumbing play it. It's, like, available on everything. Ideally, the Xbox 360 or PS1 version, if you please. And thank you. Yes, um, indeed. Agree with that. It is a game that helped birth the genre. That doesn't come around every day. Like, you know, there are games that shift and change. Resident Evil, for example, we've seen that morph and shift between RE4, RE7, and back again. This changed Castlevania forever, and it changed platformers forever. You know, I'm not saying Super Metroid doesn't deserve credit. Of course it does. But this game took that formula, mixed it up just that right amount, added RPG elements, and, yeah, it's not flawless. That hood is atrocious. But, yeah, (laughs) it's worth your time. Yes, um, and I, you know, I don't know if I said this last time or not, but speaking as someone that only played it for the first time in 2015 or whatever it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, coming that late to it, and it still was like, what up? I'm in your top 10 games of all time now. I don't remember exactly where I kind of wind up sticking it, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty close. It's probably, yeah, it's, it's really trying to get in that top five games of all time for me, certainly. I... I adore this, and I've only been—I've only had it in my life for the last few years. So certainly, uh, Jordan, what's your final thoughts and feelings on Symphony of the Night? Excellent game. I think if you were, uh, you know, amassing some kind of uh, time capsule or vault or I don't know, just sending a bunch of video games out to space, <laughs> Symphony of the Night needs to be in there. Um, you know, as a sort of a core experience for for gaming. Yeah, it might not have been uh, the game that started it all with regards to either Castlevania or Metroidvanias, but it is such a strong proponent of why it is a genre. And, uh, you know, between it and Super Metroid, you have had people growing up and becoming game developers and just basically making tributes to these two games uh, for the last 20, 20 plus years. And I think that just says an incredible amount about the legacy that this game especially has sort of set. It revived Castlevania in a way that I don't think any other game could have. And I I would love to see Konami eventually go back to it. We're currently seeing them kind of have a resurgence of wanting to make games again. Um, mm. I would not necessarily want a remake of Symphony of the Night. I don't think it's necessary in any such form. Uh, but if they were actually able to sort of tap back into that magic of Symphony of the Night once more, especially if they bring the old crew back. Um, you know, it, it would be wonderful because I think it's a just a very important game game title mm-hmm. uh, in history. And yeah, I think it... I'd even put it on one of those sort of like lists of, you know, games to play before you die, basically. Yeah. Um, it's at least worth an evening of your time just to maybe get a feel of it. And it'll probably take up your whole weekend. It'll very easily take your weekend away from you. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, I uh, I agree that if this ever were to be remade and, you know, knock on wood that that never happens, because you're right, it doesn't need to happen. I would be concerned for many reasons. And one of them is um, they'd be trying to make a game where it's like, we know how cool Symphony of the Night is. We need to make it as cool. Uh, because my conclusion is, and this might sound dumb, I love a game that knows how cool it is 
And this game knows that it's cool. It it just shows how much fun the dev team was having making this game and how awesome they thought their game was. Because Super Metroid's amazing. Of course, we waxed lyrical on that previously, but Symphony of the Night is just overflowing with these amazing ideas that everyone was clearly contributing stuff. And it was like, yeah, let's just put it all in there. And it all works. For example, just simple stuff. Uh, Super Metroid has a series of different coloured doors as its obstacles, depending on what ability you've got to get through them. Mm -hmm. Symphony of the Night's obstacle for progression are, ah, I can walk underwater now, or I can turn into a bat now, or I have armour that breaks spikes now, and all this wacky, amazing stuff. It's just got such a great vibe to it. I agree, it is a game that you need to play at least once uh, in your life, certainly. Yeah, it's fantastic. Can't recommend it enough. Burger, you're a bit of a fan of Symphony of the Night. What's your conclusion? I'll be honest, I didn't much care for it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I just got to I love this game. It is it is no secret that this is my favorite game of all time. Uh, and for very good reasons. As the fact that we spent 45 minutes talking about it uh, before uh, and another two hours talking about it now. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. There's nothing about this game I don't love. Nothing about this game I don't love. <laughs> Um, I, for one, was a fan of the Gradient things, but I also played Final Fantasy VII, so there. Um, <laughs> I I can't think of a game that I, I've I've wanted to play uh, more than this one. Um, there's a game that's close um, that I've played through a few times in the past year, uh, which is another game that knows how cool it is, uh, which is a game called Control by Remedy. Um, mm. It... it defines it defined my love of gaming um it, it's it it sets the groundwork for so many other games that i very much enjoyed throughout the years including control itself um i don't i don't know that i have much else to add like we've we we very much care for this game uh collectively as an organization uh very much care mm-hmm. for the franchise collectively as an organization um i can't imagine the the, the, i read an article or or watched a youtube video i can't remember which of those two things but the uh right i think it was actually the um the john learned video uh where the person said that the the game was meant to be a love letter to like this what it was like to 2d um yeah and it shows and it's it shows to a point that when this game upscales to 4k it still looks just as freaking good as i remember it looking back when i was a kid Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like a victory lap, right. isn't it? Like ninety ninety seven, it's sort of saying, "Well, we know what we're doing here, and we're really celebrating yeah. it." There's a lot of companies out there that are having to kind of you know brave new waters that can be quite choppy, uh, but Symphony of the Night was very and comfortable in where it was, and it was a big celebration. Twenty years it. later, Capcom's like, "Oh, hey, by the way, we're just going to re-release this game from twenty five years ago." Uh, it still looks better than anything else that's out right now. Konami, I guess you mean, not Capcom. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you... I, Kon- I, Konami was so out of the games industry that Capcom right. had to come in and yeah. start releasing their games. <laughs> but no, like, it, in all fairness, uh, you're right. It does, in a strange way, I wonder if it felt like, for Konami at the time and the people working on this game, a bit like an end of an era thing because the onset of 3D yeah. was looming and mm-hmm. it's like, well, that that's the way mm-hmm. things are going. So... We're going to go out with a bang. And of course, Symphony of Night was such a success that, as we said at the beginning of the show, that it informed the next 15 years of Castlevania, plus, you know, 75% of indie games that go to Kickstarter <laughs> over the last 15 years. Snap. <laughs> Snap. 
Well, nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors and our patrons once again. Support the show for as little as $1 a month to help us create more bonus content like this one over at patreon.com forward slash Pod. You can also join the Discord server to get in touch with members of the team and our community, discuss Resident Evil with us and other fans, and listen to the podcast live as it's recorded. You can find a link to the server as well as our Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, YouTube, and more at fasprayedpod.com. You can find the podcast on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, and iTunes, and if you enjoyed the show please do leave us a review where you can and spread the good word thank you to the panel you can follow all of the pueblo people individually i'm at sinaiac underscore one two three steve is at fb steve was taken jordan is at serial box 64 and burger is at it's burger time and finally thank you for listening and have a good week funny actually when we all sat around the dining room table a few weeks ago recording the uh, bonus episode that's going to mm. come out <clears throat> it was kind of like well this is going to be chaos because we're not used to talking in front of each other it's going to be different to doing it online and so ergo it got described as the memory card lane style podcast where everything's chaos which apparently <laughs> show and introduce me to the phrase something about <laughs> let's oil up and stuff or something <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's That's right. it's, it's the unofficial it's the unofficial sort of um hype phrase <laughs> of memory card lane do you know what I, I actually don't want context that's about as much context as i need well you know what that makes two of us i don't have context for you show it just says it <laughs> Want to say it's like a reference to that one character in Street Fighter Four with the oil, but I'm stretching that definition. I can. <laughs> yeah, that is, I think it's, it's a reference to showing himself. Yeah, and I feel that's quite slanderous to Hakan. Ha- as, as a grand, as a as a as a great wizard, I mean, obviously Sherwin is entitled to some things. Exactly. That's a great wizard. <laughs> a wizard is never late, Ferdo Baggins. He oils up and gets <laughs> precisely when he means to. <laughs> I mean, if you're not going to do it when you need to, when are you going That's to? That's right, yeah. This is very doom toots when he pleases all of a sudden about showing. <laughs> Alright, okay. On I'm building note. up the lore right now. <laughs> this, is like, this is like Patreon-only kind of outtakes here. This is stuff you can't put on YouTube.